Oh, hello, this is Jonathan Montaldo. Uh, I am sitting with Elena Malitz. Uh, it's November the 10th, 2019. I have been participating in a program committee meeting for the International Thomas Merton Society. Elena Malitz, Dr. Malitz, is a um, is very famous uh, in her own right and in her teaching. She's a professor emerita at St. Mary's College, but she's very famous to me and to other Merton readers, avid Merton readers, because of her own work with Thomas Merton. Uh, she wrote her dissertation in 1974 at Fordham on Thomas Merton. Yeah. And this was uh, produced in a book in the 1980s uh, called The Solitary Explorer, Thomas Merton and Continuing Conversion. Yeah. Uh, I am only one reader of hers, but I think uh, this book has meant so much to me when I read it, and I still consider it a a piece of secondary literature that should endure uh, because of the insights uh, that uh, Elena Malitz gave us in her own reading of Thomas Merton at the time, remembering that this book was written in the 19... It was published by Harper and Rowe in 1980. In that, so in 1980, so we're talking uh, almost 30 years ago. And it was republished. Ago about five years ago wonderful by another publisher yes i wanted to bring that out and, and it, it deserves what i was saying is to, to you and and to this recorder that it certainly deserved republication well they were preparing for the celebration of what would be a hundred years from thomas merton's birth at Bellarmine College, and uh, they wanted to have books available to sell at that. Right. Well, that was a masterpiece. Uh, Thank you. It really was, and I'm glad that it was reproduced. They also reproduced, and you might know this, um, uh, Dr. Anthony Padovano. Oh, yes. did a book on, called The Human Journey. Yes. And uh, at the same time as your book was uh, republished, so his book was republished under the title of Thomas Merton's Spiritual Genius hmm. by St. Anthony Messenger Press. Okay. So these two wonderful books uh, have come to us again. And the third book that is not has not been republished, but I think is sort of a trinity in my mind, was the book by uh, Raymond, not Ra Raymond Bailey, Thomas Merton and Mysticism. Mm -hmm. uh, the three of you really captured uh, Merton's voice, I think, uh, in a way that hasn't necessarily been recaptured again. In other words, these are basic insights, and I think they certainly have the whole aspect of continuing conversion has certainly infected uh, my idea of who Thomas Merton was. Now, I don't want to spend for you, because you've done this so many times, you've appeared in 
in in Morgan Atkinson's film, Soul Searching, the Thomas Merchant story. And you have been interviewed and so forth. I, I really don't want to go over your history that you that you have repeated endlessly. And uh, what I, I most want to talk to you about is today. Because we're having we're having this uh, ITMS meeting here, and we are not uh, we have not decided on the exact title of this program, the general title in which people will write papers and respond to and have have uh, workshops on and uh, entertainments. But where we're heading is to consider Thomas Merton's self-identification as a stranger and an alien. In the Cold War letters, he writes to Abdul Aziz that, you know, I have realized that I'm a stranger and alien. Yeah. And this is this is in your psyche already. But that's that's kind of where we're going. Um, and there's a there's a, a poem by the words stranger are coming up, alien, exile, a refugee, let's say, from from the society that he was living in at the time. And we both realize together he's an historical figure. Sure. So we're not we're not we don't want to go I mean you you're informed about the, the those times and you and I both are we've lived through them. But here's what I want to ask you to begin. If I asked you to, to, if I was on the committee and I said, listen, we'd love to have you give a plenary session uh, at the 2021 meeting, that's two years from now, on Thomas Merton. And the general theme is stranger, alien, exile, refugee. What would you, at this moment in your life and out of the roots of your present life, what would you most want to, the message that you would want to give us informed by Merton? Well, I have to begin by saying I think this country, USA, is in the worst condition it has ever been in because of President Trump and all that goes with it. So I think Merton has never been more relevant. Look at what is happening to all the refugees who try to come to this country. Look at our borders. Look at the standardization of what people think and feel, you have to go along with what's current or you are an alien. You have to think what the going thoughts are. I teach college students just a one-credit film course, and I am just amazed at how they don't read. Now, these are young college kids. They, they're mostly seniors that I teach in a course. I use a lot of film. 
and it's an all discussion limited to 15 people so we can really talk to each other but I am impressed with I thought education had come very far and they all say to me I don't know if this is what you want me to say but I say I want you to say what you think about the questions I email them eight or ten questions to think about the movie and then the last four or five years I've asked them to write at least two questions about the film that they bring to class that they would really like to have answered by somebody. And uh, what I find out is the kind of questions you get to ask about these movies, the more important they learn the more important things they can learn. Now, I think I taught for years every other semester a seminar on Thomas Merton. And there are some rather famous people who've gone through St. Mary's and Notre Dame who took that course. And many of them still come back. I meet them and they say, Oh, that was one of the best courses I ever had because I learned how important Merton was for me as an individual to think for myself, to take positions that are truly mine and to be willing to suffer for those positions if they aren't favorable. So all those years, and even more recently in some of my courses on film, I just bring up Merton as somebody who would think about these movies in a way that jars you, you know, not to upset you, but to get you to think. Good films, I think, are inherently theological because they deal with questions like, how do people treat each other in this movie? What is their attitude toward work? What, how do they care for the earth? I mean, these are questions that Merton asked at his time that have not been answered for our time, you know? So, I think in, they see so many more films than I do, but they don't learn how to think about them. There's something they see, and they go through their eyes and out their ears, and that's it. So I had a student who said to me once, a couple of years ago, um, Sister, we've learned so far in this course a lot about film. When do we do the theology? And I said to her, we've been doing theology from day one. I mean, if you talk 
about what's important in good films, you're into fundamental theological issues. And I don't want to just talk about that course I'm doing now, which has nothing to do with Merton as such. But it does, because in getting today's seniors at St. Mary's College, or I've had over the years many Notre Dame students in this same course, but um, the women at St. Mary's got angry because they couldn't get into the course because so many Notre Dame men were taking it, that we stopped advertising it at Notre Dame. So now I just have St. Mary's women, and they like to fill up and do that. But I think Merton is so important in the way he thinks about many religions and what attitudes you take as a Catholic toward other religions or what's happening in the world or I can tell the first day freshmen come into this church, I can tell what kind of parish they're from by what they wear on their heads, how many times they genuflect, or whether they, as we do in this church in the round, stand up. I mean, we got a letter a couple of years ago that said, Catholics need to return to the ancient practice of kneeling, which is what the early church did. Well, my freshmen would have known that's wrong. The early church stood with their hands out. Kneeling came in with the kings. You knelt for the king, not for the church. But all of that is past now. Anyway, What I think is relevant in Merton today is to think through and take positions no matter what it costs you. In my religious community, you have to stand up for a lot of things. I mean, there are good people, but there are many older people. And especially in the North American area. And uh, you have to fight for new ideas. And Merton knew that. He was always in controversy (laughs) with somebody or some group somewhere. But that's how human beings develop. And that's how change comes about. My interest in Thomas Merton was always in how he changed over the years and what he kept that he couldn't surrender and what new things he had to incorporate into himself and his way of thinking so that he went from 
being a new convert to Catholicism and thinking everything had to be religious, to writing about social problems, to writing about interreligious dialogue, and all of those things, you know? So uh, I can't think of anybody who has more to say to sincere human beings today who want to fight for individualization in the best sense of that term, for how to become a society that cares, not just an individual that cares what happens to people, what happens to the earth. I mean, think of the importance of Christ, uh, change, uh, climate change, pardon me, and how many people in prominent positions don't think it's real. We have lots of sisters now. After the, well, in our missions, we have more sisters from Bangladesh than any place else in the world. Well, if you read about climate change, Bangladesh is one of the first places that goes under the water, as our East Coast will and West Coast will. I mean, how many times do people talk about that? I mean, fortunately, more and more people are becoming aware of the importance of climate change and the absolute necessity of talking about what is possible to do. Because at first you th throw up your hands and say, what can I do? I'm one person. I mean, we're talking about the oceans getting higher and coming on our shores. Well, there are things we can do, but only if we work at thinking about it and talking to each other and working together. Because if we don't form communities, that matter, that care about these things, nothing will happen. We'll all go underwater or whatever the climate change is about. So, Merton, and, and think of the interracial divisions today. Merton was utterly caring for what was happening in the 50s and 60s regarding interracial justice. And he worked for that. Well, just at the point where people thought some real progress was being made, it all goes under and we find terrible things about immigrants, black people, brown people, our borders, all of those things are relevant. So, while I don't teach Merton anymore, 
I can give examples from his life in whatever we're talking about to other people that make a difference. And I think just last semester, I did a directed readings with an individual, and it was suggested that since I know Merton, why she had to do her directed readings on ethics. And the person in the religious studies department who asked me if I would work with her said, she's got to do ethics. Could you work with her on Merton's readings? I said, you bet, whatever you call them. Uh, I mean, he's got lots of things to say about ethical issues today that are so important for our very survival. You know, so she who never even knew the name Thomas Merton read excerpts every week. I'd have her read a couple of chapters from a book or a whole small book or something. And then we would talk about it in relation to today. I would say it changed that young woman forever. You know, reading those, somebody she had never even heard the name, reading what he had to say in relation to ethical problems today. So. So it's, it's your experience with this young woman that Merton still translates Oh, the absolutely. I mean, do you, he's not obsolete? Oh, no. I mean, in my movie class, let me tell you, just recently, I showed a film on the waterfront, which is a deeply Catholic film, with Marlon Brando. Sure. Nobody knew the name of Marlon Brando. Well, these are... 20-year-olds, and how long ago was Marlon Brando? You know, anyway, I got over that, and I thought, just think of all the ideas these young women never heard of that are as old as the name Marlon Brando is to us. So we would talk about some of these things. And they have so much to learn. A student I had last semester said to me, Sister, could I ask you a personal question? I said, well, you can ask whether I will answer it or not. Depends on the question. And she, who was trying to be nice, but I knew what she was really getting at, she said to me, Sister Elena, could you tell me what planet you lived on before you came to Earth? And I knew she was saying she didn't understand what I was saying. 
the issues I was bringing up. And that was a clever way to put it. So I said to her, well, you know, I've never lived anywhere but on this earth. And when I was a little girl, I was interested in what little girls think about and talk about, etc., etc. But toward halfway through high school, I began to think, and then I came to St. Mary's College, and it really mattered to me what I read, what teachers I had, what I could learn that profoundly affected me and would make me the kind of person I would be for the rest of my life in this world. And so I said, if we don't keep growing, we all go dead, you know? I happen to live, now that I live in St. Mary's Convent, I live on a floor where almost everybody is in dementia. I'm 85 years old. Some of them are 60, 75, few are 90. I don't know why I am physically subject to a number of diseases, but why have escaped mentally? And as far as I can figure out, it's because you're interested in learning and keep learning and do things that make a difference, like try to learn a new language when you're aged. I mean, people think I'm crazy because I'm still teaching. They said, you don't have to. You formally resigned from the college when, 20 years ago. I said, that isn't why I want to teach. I want to talk to people who you can make interested in talking about things that matter. And in my movie course, I tend to use older films. I don't want them to have to go out and pay for contemporary films to go to the theater. I, When I was studying in New York, I used to go to the Metropolitan Opera matinees and buy standing room tickets for $7. <laughs> that was a long time ago in the early 60s. And you can't go to a movie house in the evening for $7, even in South Bend. I can imagine what it is like in New York. But there has to be a way that people keep learning and keep talking to others who will help them learn if they talk to the right people. I feel sorry for the dementia people that I live with. 
but I don't spend any time with them other than go good morning and I hope you have a good day and you say nothing. And it's hard for me to walk all the way to our dining room. But that's the only way I can sit at a table and talk to people for I have breakfast in my room because I watch the news while I eat breakfast. I watch a lot of news uh, just because I think it's very important to know what is happening, where, and who tells you about it, and what you read makes all the difference in the world. So uh, I find at 85, I know how much I learned from Thomas Merton, from reading and teaching him, talking with students. You know, about two years ago, I had a student graduated from St. Mary's, took my Merton course, I didn't remember who she was. I didn't know what her name was. She turned out to be a professional therapist now. And she she visited me, and we spent two days together here. And she said, could I send you my Merton paper? That I am still proud of what I wrote <laughs> You know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I don't remember when she graduated. But that makes you feel good that there were, there aren't many things I can feel good about today. But to know that you've taught some people who learn to think and are still thinking and working about many important things. If you were, if you were going to, let's say you were going to do your immersion course again, uh, what would you be stressing? I mean, what you just, what we've just talked about tells me what you would stress, the climate change. Uh, how would you approach Merton uh, for young women today and talk about the seven story mountain and talk about uh, his early piety? if you will. And let, let me tell you what's in the background of that question. Yeah. I have a friend, Peter Salvestano, who teaches, he's, he's an anthropologist. He teaches a course on Merton every other year, and he slides it in by calling it an anthropology of consciousness course. Mm -hmm. Good. He tells me that he's now, he's, he's taught Merton now for four or five times, he says he now realizes there's the division when he teaches his students, and he signals that as Merton 1.0 and Merton 2.0. Merton 1.0 is the early Merton of the seven-story mountain, the sign of Jonas, the waters of Silloway, uh, the novice master, Merton 2.0, and the journals, mm -hmm. he says, is Merton 1, 1.0. And uh, Myrtle's, Merton's journal writing, and Merton 2.0 is, as you would guess, uh, Merton's uh, social protest, 
his his teachings about uh, racial justice against nuclear war, etc. And open to other religions. Exactly. There are, he says, he reports, Merton 1.0 goes right over their head. They don't understand him. They don't get why he's even involved in commenting on the weather and birds. And one student said he was just a hot mess. <laughs> Merton 2.0 appeals because they're talking about technology. I mean, they're talking about Merton, but they're also talking about a topic. Technology, sure. climate change, um, racial justice, um, issues of sexuality. So they talk about it with Merton sort of in the background. How would you, how would you talk to students about Merton 1.0 if you even agree with that? Well, I don't. I don't agree with Merton. What? One point and two point. First of all, I think if you know how to see it yourself, students can become aware that there's a growing sense of being critical in the good sense of that term, not the bad sense of that term. But seeing more in the piety, in the just religious stuff. I think Merton, having had a childhood that wasn't religious, and having been in England, for his first freshman year in college. And he was probably as uh, sexually active as kids are today. But so what? You know, look at how he came to understand a purpose of life that is different than just self-gratification. And I think the students that I teach, what you have to do is shake them out of their desire for self-gratification. They don't think there's anything wrong with that. And in their understanding, there isn't, you know? So you begin there. You begin by accepting the people who are lost, who come from parishes that have rejected Vatican II. You know, they could be back in the 19th century as far as what. I have lots of students who come in thinking religion has to do with going to church and not having sex, period. That's what, that's what religion is about. And so, you know, you think, oh, my God, we really have to start from absolute scratch. Well, you do. And these are 
wonderful young people in many ways, but they are products of today's culture, this world that we live in. And when you watch television, good heavens, they have to watch Trump as much as I do. And all these sick features of contemporary life, you know. I mean, what's wrong with sleeping with your boyfriend? I mean, come on, we all do it. Well, <laughs> it isn't that there's anything intrinsically wrong with sleeping with somebody. It depends who it is and how you do it and what your attitudes are. And if that's the only thing that matters to you when you're young, I mean, come on, you've wasted your, not only wasted your life, you certainly have wasted your college education. You know? And what you major in, I think, well, I really regret that when kids go to high school today, they are told by their counselors, you've got to know what you want to major in. How could you possibly know at your high school graduation what's really important? At least we had two years to try different courses and see now they come in, and God help you, if you want to be in science, you better start on day one in the science courses, you know. I just think that's unfair to them. They should take some good science courses, some decent philosophy courses, and find out what really matters to them, what really turns them on, you know. How would you, if if you taught, and you may not even broach the subject of the sense of Merton's being in exile or being alienated, uh, a stranger to himself? He talks about that in that in that letter. You might not even want to talk about that as being significant. But if I asked you, sister, I don't get it. What do you mean that he said he's writing to this Muslim saying, I'm a stranger? I feel I, 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 I'm self-identifying as an alien. What, how would you explain that to me? Well, I think anyone who is a real human being has felt that at some time. And it may not be called that. It may go by another name. We all know what it is to be lonely. We've all experienced loneliness in some way, maybe very different for different people. But that's just one form of feeling alienated from other people or feeling that you are a stranger or when people don't accept you in your immediate group. Uh, I had a student, we, we have here at St. Mary's 
convent and all the sisters who live in buildings around that the convent are, is just the people who are ill in some way and need medical attention. But we have lots of communities all over the place. And some sisters live in town. Some people, some sisters do counseling work. Some do parish work. They all have had experiences of feeling unaccepted. You try working in racial relations. <laughs> I remember way back in the early days when I started teaching in Boston at Cardinal Cushing College, and I spent the summers going to a neighborhood house in a black part of town where eventually I worked with some sisters who were to go into the, for sure, very Irish Catholic neighborhoods and convince these people that if blacks moved in, they could form communities. I almost got thrown out on my ear of a few places. I was not welcome. I mean, who the hell do you think you are coming in here to our living room and telling my wife and me that we should be open to those blacks? I just tried to get away from them, you know. I mean, you can find in anyone, if you ask them the right questions, when they have felt isolated, alienated, alone, rejected, the stranger. And so that's another way of starting where people are. And identifying with them. Yeah, oh sure. And uh, when Merton talks that way, number one, he didn't always talk that way. But when he did, so he had a difficult period trying to relate to the larger community, to the other monks. I mean, he finally got permission to live away on his own. And it was really interesting to me when Pope John, the present Pope, was talking to Americans and said there are four American writers you should read. One of them was Dorothy Day, another was Thomas Merton. Well, what more could you ask? <laughs> you know? I mean, if you are a sincere and authentic Catholic, say, hey, maybe I should try reading those people. I will know we are in a different church, what a church should be, the day Dorothy Day is canonized. She had an abortion 
when she was young, before she was a Catholic. Come on. I mean, she served the poor and was, I mean, she dealt with alcoholics. I'll never forget go when I was in graduate school in the 60s. I went down to one of the houses of hospitality for supper. And she wasn't there at the time. She was away doing something. But I stayed for supper, and I needed a cup of coffee. So I asked for one down the line. And uh, I got the cup of coffee, and on the way of passing it to me, a couple of people drank from it. And when I got my coffee, there was a bean floating in it. Somebody had eaten a bean and had drunk from my coffee. I'll never forget, should I drink this coffee? Can I drink this coffee? And I decided, if I was sitting at Dorothy Day's table, I had to drink that coffee with the bean floating in. It was one of the hardest things I ever did, you know. But I thought Dorothy Day would have done it. Thomas Merton would have probably done it. So. One of the uh, themes that uh, we've explored, and I don't think that that it will necessarily be primary uh, at the for this conference is contemporary monasticism and the entire reality and idea practice of living a contemplative life. If I asked you a question based on the title of one of Merton's essays in Contemplation and Action, is the contemplative life finished? And what I mean by that particularly is the monastic contemplative life, the institutionalized contemplative life, as we do it, you and I knew it uh, 30 years ago. Uh, is it finished? Is the contemplative life or the monastic life finished? How, how would you think about that with me? Maybe the form of it that we knew and experienced is dead. That doesn't mean the contemplative life, even in monasticism, is dead. Nobody ever knows what new forms can come. I mean, think of when the Jesuits started. They would go out and serve people. And there were only the monastic communities that stayed within themselves. And Ignatius thought up a whole different way of doing things. And I think as religious life develops, 
Who knows what it's going to be in 20 years? I, the form that we knew may well be over. That doesn't mean there can't be another way of doing. I suspect the separation of men and women will change. I mean, I know lots of communities now where there are both men and women because you have different perspectives, different attitudes toward things that come up only when you talk a lot to those other people, you know. So I think, who knows what will happen? I think, you know, we're now discovering through many, many searches of what the early church was like. There may have been many more active women than we ever thought. There may have been forms of preaching, of acting, of serving than we have no notion of. And that's fine. We learned that over and over and over, some of the same things stay, but are embodied in new forms of living. If I came to you as a young woman or young man and said, you know, I really, I've been to a couple of monasteries and I've read a couple of books. I've read Thomas Merton. Seven Story Mountain, and I I have a call to something that I don't know what it is, but something's calling me. Do you think that I should enter a monastery, Sister? I mean, do you think that that's the place where I might find the answer to what I'm feeling called for by? I think you have to go and find out. You have to visit these places. Maybe stay there. A month, maybe a couple of weeks. You know, you can't set a time for those things. You have to be willing to go and try something, and maybe you'll see this isn't what I thought it was. It's not for me. Maybe you've got to find a whole different way of acting. Maybe you find... There's work that you have to do. You know, um, I know many religious congregations that were involved in teaching. I mean, grade school, high school, colleges, and found people no longer wanted to do that, left it. And now we've got generations of people who don't know anything about Vatican II, <laughs> don't know anything except religion is about checking your sexual instincts and making sure you go to church, whatever kind of church it is, you know? And so... You've got to find something for yourself. We had a student here. We had a come and see program where people came to see whether they wanted to 
be in religious life. And uh, I was talking, I was sitting at the table with some of these people, young women, and uh, she said, well, this was not for her. And I said, well, maybe you should look at St. Mary's College. And she said, I want to go to a real Catholic institution. I said, well, St. Mary's is a Catholic institution. She said, no, I want to take Catholic science, Catholic mathematics. I said, there's no such thing. No, yes, there is, and I'm going to find it. And all I could say was, thank God you're not coming here, kids. I mean, where would you even begin? Maybe some people can begin with such an attitude. But that's beyond my capabilities. I just don't have any patience with that kind of thinking. You know, although with everybody, you got to start somewhere. Is have you thought? I mean, have you thought about the monastic life? I mean, I'm. You've always been, had a contemplative, in action life. You've always been a, a, a teacher. Yeah. A, a, does Merton's monastic? What do you say about Merton's desires to be a monk? He seems even at the end of his life claiming, you know, I I don't know whether I've become a monk. I've certainly become a writer. Does do, do you? I don't want to say you eschew it or put it down. Yeah. Is Merton's monasticism a, a stumbling block for you? His love of that sort of twelfth century. No, because I think he and lots of other monks that I met at Gethsemane were open to new things. I remember the day I w the weekend I was visiting. I stayed with the Loretta sisters and would drive the ten miles over to Gethsemane. But I remember the day they were reading the gospel that says in Christ there is no longer men or women, Greek or Jew. And I talked to some of the monks afterward, and I said, we can't even sit close to the altar. We had to be up in the balcony. I said, you know, is that right? And they said, well, we got to look at that. And so they talked about it, and over time it changed. And you could, you were not, you weren't the monks, so you weren't with them when they were chanting the office, but you could mingle with them much more. I think there are congregations of religious of all sort that haven't changed one whit since Vatican II happened. And we'll never, I mean, but that's, that's life. I mean, people make those choices. Yeah. I've always had a prejudice that I'd like to ask your opinion of it. That women, it's a sexist statement. 
that women are that a contemplative community of women is richer in its community life than the same community of men. And, and I, I know more communities of monastic men, and I'm really going on, remember, I'm 74 years old. Okay. So what I know about monastic life, I don't know what contemporary monasticism is, even though I've spent some time at Spencer and Gethsemane right now, and I have friends there. So I know how my reactions to the life they're living, which I think for them is authentic and good and, and they're beautiful people. Am I am I sexist in saying that women are more naturally contemplative and form community uh, in in ways that are richer than men? I don't know that you can say that. It depends on the community and it depends on the people there. I think instinctively women tend to relate more easily than men do. I mean, men will not speak about things, I think, generally, as easily as if something happens, a woman will want to talk about it with somebody, with anybody, to either complain or yell or say this wonderful thing happened. But you have to interact. And men can keep to themselves and never say things that are really important to them. I think that tends to happen. But again, look at the individuals. It applies to some and doesn't to others. And Merton was certainly... Uh... I think there was a difference in Merton's outward behavior and his journal writing, where you saw he was much more available to his feelings, his thoughts about things, yeah. um, his piety, his, his compassionate transparency is what I call it, mm -hmm. where he's willing to tell a future reader, and I'm thinking that his journals... He wrote them so that maybe one day people could could read them. And in the Merton Legacy Trust, he said they could be published 25 years after his death. He seemed he seems to me to be a teacher of what it feels like to lead a spiritual life, a contemplative yeah, life. Yeah. Would you say that that's? I think that's true. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, he was able to communicate that to other individuals who either talked to him or more who read him. And that's good. I really thank you for this. Okay.